0: Aloha, everyone. It is Jeremy Vaney, and it is our Undoing Radio. It is part two of the season finale with trickster theorist George Hansen. He is the author of The Trickster and the Paranormal, and you may find out all about him, all about his book, read some essays and the such, at his website, tricksterbook.com. But for now, just sit back, relax... And enjoy this candid discussion about all things trickster and paranormally. Let's get back into it with George Hansen. You know, every time, like, the subject of UFOs pops up in the mainstream um, in a big way, everybody gets excited, like, oh, this is it, the big disclosure. This is finally the masses are waking up, you know, all this. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, never agree with that. Up until it, just in this way, and I want to hear what, if you think this, that skeptics are now uh, sort of forced to take it seriously enough to at least do articles on, let's do a thought experiment about UFOs. Like they have to treat it seriously because the Navy has treated it seriously. So does that actually lessen the taboo overall, or does, is it like an elastic that once whatever the Navy's up to is done, <laughs> the skeptics and debunkers will snap right back into Bahumbug?
1: humbug? Well, that's hard to predict. Um, it may depend on what the mainstream media is decides to present because there are certainly powers above the skeptics that control media and the like. And there are thought leaders that might tend to start to poo-poo this again. The Navy may have reason to kind of... Pull back and not say anything. We don't really know what the agenda is or how this will play out. Uh, so I'm not sure that answers your question. But we don't. We can watch this, and even if they do acknowledge that there is something that the skeptics acknowledge there is something there, they probably have no way of thinking about how what the danger is. They uh, they felt that unconsciously. Now that they have to. Uh, confront the reality of some of these phenomena. Have they thought through how this phenomena works and what are the repercussions? And very few people really talk about that.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's weird to me how just sort of really you can have something that is real that is there, even if we can't completely define it. But it's not going to hit consensus reality until there's you know you tiptoe. And you have authorities tell you it's okay, and then there's consensus, and then suddenly it's real. But it's been real all along, you know. Like that's a weird way.
1: To, <laughs> that's a weird way to live. Well, yeah. If you define reality as being so, completely socially constructed, but these phenomena, if it's if there is some physical basis that's not required for you, don't have to require consensus to to verify. Uh, then it. it it becomes very complex and very difficult to determine what's going on. I think we're still in the stage. Can we really uh, trust what the government is telling us? Maybe a little bit, but not very much in my view. There is almost certainly continuous monitoring of social media uh, in regard to UFOs. And what we're being told, I'm I'm sure this continual monitoring, seeing what direction things are going, feeds into what we see in the media today. There are thought leaders and other people who have considerable influence in what gets put on. And so what we're seeing today is, okay, there are certain people in the mainstream media and elsewhere that say, okay, we can have this, we can't have that. Right. So, so what we're seeing is the UFO phenomena in many ways is socially constructed, uh, and our interpretation and our perception of it is socially constructed, or engineered might be the better word.
0: So, yeah, and then there's there's always this the conspiratorial hope that they that they do know more than they're saying in a significant deep way, or that somebody has the job of reading George Hansen and. <laughs> Figuring out well, that there are different ways to look at this. Do you see any evidence that they, that they do?
1: No. Um, the evidence I've seen is they have gone to, uh, I think a couple years ago, there's a conference at MIT on UFOs, and they had a number of big-name uh, scientists and philosophers people. The people at the top in the elites... Uh, generally do not understand these kinds of phenomena. These phenomena tend to live in the margins of society or at the very top. But anywhere else, uh, they're they're generally rejected very subtly. There are, I know, very well-to-do people, very, very well-to-do people who monitor this and use psychics. And are very interested in psychics. But you get into the university, uh uh-uh, no, we'll have none of it. Bureaucratic organizations, this tends to be very explosive and dangerous for people in large bureaucratic organizations to be involved with. That's the nature of this phenomenon. It's it's anti-structural. It tends to tear down hierarchies in some rather interesting ways. So I suspect anyone within a large institution will have difficulties grap- grappling with this. It will be inherently difficult for them. So you will see institutions... Fall and this if you just look at the history of parapsychology or UFO, ufology, it never comes they, they never grow large viable long term institutions that are involved with this or study this phenomenon
0: yeah, well here i 'm going to do um, a little bit of a terrible segue um, into Carl Jung because that actually It's interesting. There's Carl Jung before we knew about the Red Book, and then there's Carl Jung after. And I wonder if he had published the Red Book, um, would that have been a detriment to psychology being taken seriously as a scientific institution?
1: Well, Jung isn't taken terribly scientific. isn't taken very seriously in the academic world. Uh, There are people who study him for sure but he is still a marginal character. So I don't think it would make much difference. Because he's a marginal character, he has a clearer vision of many things. He wrote a whole book on UFOs, which is quite interesting. And I I still go back to it. So he had an understanding of it that most people do not. And there are a number of other figures that have largely been forgotten. uh, uh, One is Rudolf Otto, who talks about the numinous whose book, The The Idea of the Holy, came out in 1917. It's still uh, cited in a a small number of university courses, but the ideas there are largely forgotten. So there are these people who have made major contributions, but if you look at the mainstream of the academic world today, they get relatively little attention.
0: Hmm. Um, I want to stick with Young for a second, because... You know, you look at his Red Book, what what would be the fair way to describe the Red Book? It's almost, it, it, it's written kind of like a Bible. Uh, it's got biblical characters in it. I mean, essentially, it's a visionary journey he had with archetypes through which, you know, at the end of this, I guess he would say it was a psychotic break of sorts. But at the end of this visionary journey, and I don't know that it truly ended, but at least this phase of it did, he sort of carved out his his psychological theories or offerings and presented that to the public, but not this. Um, a, a lot of people do that, right? Like they, they have the big thing and then they say, well, I don't think the public's ready for this, so I'm going to give them something that could be useful and beneficial. Do you think that that's useful and beneficial or should we always be getting the whole story because that story is actually the story of us?
1: Uh, I'm really not t- terribly familiar with the Red Book. I've seen an exhibit on it, but I have not sat down and read it. Uh, so I can't really address that directly. But there are people, when you start getting into these phenomena, it can become intellectually disorienting. There's no question about that. And it raises subtle and sometimes not so subtle emotions and these phenomena can be quite destabilizing if not psychologically at least in some sense how you think about this these things are inherently ambiguous and confusing that's not an easy thing to uh, navigate so I think people inherently the taboo against dabbling with the supernatural really is quite strong and we don't even realize that we are in some sense reacting to that, or, or being controlled by that taboo.
0: Hmm. So then, would you say that if he did have these visionary journeys and and with different characters, um, mm-hmm. that that's all trickster,
1: or well, I, uh, it, it's mythological. He he is dealing with another realm that is largely denied by most. Uh, People in the upper realms of culture and and generally would not be taught in universities today. Even like I don't know of many psychology courses that would discuss Jung. In fact, I know a number of psychologists who don't even uh, have never had to take a course uh, about Freud, who was a much bigger figure. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's psychology today is largely psychobiological, neurological. Uh, now, that may be changing, but thats that's been pretty dominant. There's been medical models and biological models and the like. So it's been very reductionistic, which is not a way that we're likely to comprehend uh, paranormal phenomena.
0: Okay. Now, y- um, you've told me the other day in private conversation that you've been, um, I don't know, adding on to or thinking about new different avenues that could fit into trickster theory, or to bring trickster theory, I, I kind of want to just really interested to know what those are, but I also want to know um, when, how do you parse that out? Is it just an aha moment where you go, ah, this is it? Like, how do you discard no. anything? How do you not? How do you add anything?
1: Okay, well, when I'm adding, I, I do a lot of reading uh, and cross-checking from a variety of different approaches. Uh, my My fair amount of my effort now, and in the last several years, uh, I have been lecturing about Jacques Derrida, and he has been entirely ignored within uh, psychical research. Uh, I found uh, only in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, which is very open to uh, the paranormal and UFOs, I I found only one substantial quote about Derrida, and it can. It went something like he was, he's simply one of the termites gnawing at uh, the foundations of Western civilization, totally dismissive. But he has a whole book about ghosts called Specters of Marx*, And he talks, the word ghost appears several hundred times there and, and spirits. He talks about that. This has been completely ignored within the paranormal fields. And he is, at the time of his death, uh, he was probably the most influential living philosopher at the end of the 20th century. He is very, very well known. Uh, There are people in literary fields and other fields that do talk about him, uh, but rarely emphasize the paranormal aspects, but some do. But that has not had any effect uh, in the research, uh, as far as I can tell.
0: Uh, But what, so what was his, um, why did he write that book? I mean, was it related
1: to his work or was it something? Oh, absolutely. No, no. It it was very, very much part of his work. Uh, Was it related to deconstructionism? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes, very definitely. There's a lot there. Uh, and I hope to, you know, come out with something fairly soon on that, but it's, it's difficult to convey those ideas. It's, Even the French parapsychologists I've known have said almost nothing about the guy. But he is highly relevant, and I've got lots of ways I can show that. Uh, There are a lot of people that think when he's talking about specters and marks, he was simply talking metaphorically. No, he wasn't. It's very clear if you read Derrida. He was actually talking about spirits. Spirits.
0: Yeah, see, I, I, I've, I, now I'm going to have to go buy, buy the book and, and read it because I had just searched it out, and it was the same thing. People talk about it historically. I'm like, well, then this isn't really about specters, or is it?
1: Oh, oh wait, it re- really is. Now, Derrida is an extraordinarily difficult <laughs> person to read. His writing is really difficult. Uh, I'm told if you read some of it out loud, it's a little better. Huh. Uh, and and the book "Specters of Marx." There are PDFs of the book uh, online. Okay,
0: so I'll uh, check that out. Mo- so,
1: yeah, mo- go ahead. Monoscope.org dot org has it. Uh, last I checked.
0: Okay, and what about you? Are Are you going to work on a on another book?
1: Well, I, I'm certainly. Pl- I have been working on another. It's it's you know I've collected a lot of. Uh, hundreds and hundreds, if maybe and probably more, uh, references. So yes, I, it, it it would be a very big project. But yes, I, I'm continually working on small projects, especially in my lectures, that hopefully will eventually see a book. Hmm. Uh, but articulating this so an ordinary person who has a strong interest in the paranormal can get some understanding of what I'm saying, because if you read the Literature of uh, some of the anthropologists and the theorists, it's very, very difficult going.
0: Um, so and, and it's kind of an unfair question, I guess, but huh, let's give it a shot. Um, kind of like we were just talking about with Jung, is there anything that you hold back either from the public or from, from academia, or you know, whoever your audience is in academia, uh, because you think it's a little too far? for them?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I try to uh, gear my writings and especially my uh, oral presentations, conferences and the like. Uh, You know, there's a whole lot more I could say, but it would be difficult to convey uh, some of these ideas in the time allotted. So yes, I've got a huge amount that I've held back and lots of little details that make make thing you I can show the uh convergences of a variety of uh, approaches to the paranormal yeah I've got a whole lot uh but to put them you know one by one out there people just won't get it it has to be shown in, in this uh, a larger framework where a lot of these things can be it's I think I can show a, a lot of the convergences from you know literary theory uh to Paranormal phenomena, maybe even a little bit of physics and mathematics uh to the relevance of all that to the paranormal and it, it and the way we even conceptualize the world
0: and have you uh ever tried to conjure the paranormal or
1: uh i don't know well, communicate
0: well, with trickster or anything like that?
1: Well, certainly communicate. I've attended any number of seances and I did laboratory research for eight years. So, yes, I tried to get the phenomena to, a, to uh, manifest. But you on your you. own? Uh, on my own, well, I've done, I don't know, a number of ghost investigations hmm. and, you know, taken monitoring equipment out there as well as psychics. So, yeah, we'd like to see something happen. So, yeah, you know, if you are doing research, especially scientific research, you want to see or elicit the phenomena. That was what I was paid to do. Right. But just
0: in your own personal life too, you know, cause we, we talk about, uh, Jeff and I used to talk about how personal this is. And, you know, if you're alone and you get into the right mood and maybe, you know, this is where Carl Jung would say you're sort of accessing the persona of the depths as opposed to the persona of the surface, really time, uh, the times. Um, do you do that alone? Do you ever try to bring it to you in a personal way or do you not want that following you around?
1: <laughs> well, I and Nassim Taleb talks about wandering around and just uh, forget the words he uses. But yeah, I, I go out for bicycle rides and, you know, walks, you know, extended walks, and sometimes ideas will pop into my head. And I will see connections that I hadn't thought of before. So I like to be spend a fair amount of time where I'm not really focused on too much and just, okay. And just think generally about the things I've been reading and say, Oh yes, these things are parallel. These, these things reinforce each other, these ideas and these theories. So, and then I might come home and open a book and there I find something that's very useful. So that's how I I generally operate. A certain amount of free play, a little bit of chaos and, some, and if i have a certain intent that i want to learn something or learn about something i just you know play around and go online google or whatever and see what i can find hmm. and that's uh but you have to kind of keep it consistent and somewhat focused but uh, that's generally how i work right but i don't i don't particularly i don't want to conjure up some spirit in the house or something like that Okay, no, so you don't no, want to do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Typically, you have a place for that. You know, if you have a seance, you have a, a particular room, and you open the seance, and then you close it. That Like ritual. No, there are reasons you have you, under, in ritual where you're trying to contact spirits or whatever forces. You, you have a, a demarcation. Okay, this is when we're going to do it, and this is when we're going to stop. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, the the way, uh, that's how it's always been. People recognize that that's how it needed to be. Now, some people can live more liminal lives than others. But if you want to bring in these phenomena, well, you don't have full control when you do that. Right. So, Uh,
0: What do you think the role of psychedelics is in all of this?
1: I never got into that. I never did much reading on it. I had a number of colleagues who were certainly into them. I never was. Uh, it never really got my attention. It does promote altered states of consciousness, uh, wherein probably the phenomena are more likely to occur. Uh, there's you know, a lot of anthropological lore that would uh, indicate that. But it's not something... Uh, and there's so many people who've addressed that that I didn't think it was worth my time to pursue that.
0: Right. Yeah. I just, I wish I, you know, I just haven't done psychedelics really, except for the the big mushroom trip that, you know, Jeff and I did for Peritopia to know whether or not these are the same thing, you know, is a vision, a vision, a vision. Does it matter if it comes about by a chemical or a plant or in your sleep or in meditation? Like, are these all uh, phases of this they all they don't really seem to bring you to the same place uh and psychedelics are certainly cartoonish the room comes alive in a cartoonish and undisciplined way unstructured way that isn't the same with an abduction or a you know uFO encounter or mm-hmm. probably even a seance um so uh, but they all have the same flavor in some in yeah. some way yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they also all seem to um to a greater or lesser degree, you, as a person, and probably as a shallow person, have to give way to the depths. Um, have to take a back seat to the situation. Uh, so there's less control that you have in it. But does so? I don't know. I'm just wondering: are these really all? <laughs> are these all just one thing masquerading as a bunch of states and stages of consciousness and and physicality?
1: well they all have certain liminal aspects the betwixt and between the anti-structural the ambiguity all those characteristics seem to pertain to the item, the phenomena you're you're talking about so that they do certainly share certain commonalities and perhaps even a certain feeling in some cases so that doesn't mean they're the same thing but at some level of abstraction they are so i don't know if that's really helpful or not but yeah they're obviously not identical but they share enough commonalities to analyze them and think about them in some kind of organized uh, manner is, is probably useful yeah, you
0: know, <laughs> you just reminded me of like, when you say out loud, and people do this all the time, we're one energy. You know, everything's just one energy expressing as all these different things. Um, that has absolutely no meaning. And yet it's true. And when you experience mm-hmm. it that way, it has great depth of meaning. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that's about. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder why like logically understanding something as opposed to living it, uh, as a point of view, first-person point of view experience, even though they're both true, one feels phony and the other feels alive and true.
1: Okay, I don't really think that way. Uh, okay. I, I know a lot of people do, so I can't really address it too well. There is an area called phenomenology that where you, your personal experience and, and whatnot is very central. Uh, it's not an area I really. Delved into very much, although I, I have a little bit. Uh, so I, I really, my personality isn't such. A, I think in those terms.
0: Yeah, but you live in a different way, though. Uh, like you hang out with uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of marginal people. But oh, yes. you, but you genuinely, and I can tell this from the little bit that I did hang out with you you like them like you genuinely oh, yeah. really oh, like they're, they're these more, much folks
1: more, they're, they're much more interesting than ordinary people no the, the margins are really fun
0: yeah but even i i have a feeling like even if you were to meet like billy meyer or a hoaxer or, or something you would love to just sit down with them and and, and genuinely have a chat with them about life the universe oh, and everything
1: y- you bet you bet
0: yeah i think that's a yeah. real open heart you know
1: well, I mean, it's something, but I know most of the psychologists I knew in parapsychology wouldn't want to do that at all. <laughs> right. Where you know, I, I would sit down, psychics would come into our lab, and I'd take them, I was, my uh, office was in the back part of the, and they, we'd get together and gossip about, about the, the, uh, the psychologists in the lab, <laughs> and they'd tell me all sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy psychics and people on the margins. Not all of them, but, you know, quite a few.
0: um all right well we're almost coming up to our time here i want to ask you just a couple more questions i guess just one is there a way to look for a sign that in terms of life the universe everything going haywire now society going crazy and all that and trickster playing out is there something that we can look for to see that that's stabilizing
1: or no well, I think it can be perhaps. Uh, there's a fairly new discipline, discipline called cleodynamics, and that's the mathematical modeling of historical trends. And they it was predict this the social unrest and political unrest was predicted in the uh, certainly in 2010 by a guy named Peter Valentinovich Turchin, who's an American-Russian, who's one of the major figures in it. And it was also predicted back uh, by Strauss and Howe in their book, Generations, History of America's Future. So they pointed to this time, I think they got it a little bit early, but they said in mid, uh, mid-2000-teens, uh, that there would be some kind of crisis. Uh, and that's so there are people who are looking at this historically, and with, you know, big data, I can, I think we can be pretty sure that all major corporations, and especially big tech, will have uh, programs and projects studying cleodynamics because if you can predict or forecast the future somewhat effectively, you can make a lot of money, uh, and you can be aware of the dangers. So I am, it's virtually certain that quite a number of projects along this line are underway right now and we're not going to hear about them hmm. so and also those and with the large-scale monitoring uh, via social media and the surveillance state all those things will be fed into these kinds of programs for clear dynamics so, th- so there will perhaps be some people who will see some patterns emerging i don't know if we can ordinary people will be able to do that Great. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I guess that's what we're
0: used to. So <laughs> that same old song. Um, there, there
1: may be some good psychics out there who who can.
0: Let me ask you something completely selfish. Well, I guess two selfish closers. The first one is about me, <laughs> which is, um, are you familiar with Kundalini energy? And have you seen the videos of me in that state?
1: I've not seen that. I read... A book on Kundalini by Lee Sanella back in the 70s, I take it seriously. It wasn't something, that kind of energy was not part of parapsycholo- academic parapsychology. I always had an interest in that sort of thing, but I never really followed up on it. Uh, so I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I think it's probably pretty important. and I think it's, uh, it's certainly a marginal area uh, within, within science today, very marginal. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I've, I've got this, whatever that is, in me, uh alive uh-huh. or whatever, however mm-hmm. you want to put it, and if I just shut up for a couple of seconds, it'll take over and start doing, physically, m- maneuvering the body into different postures and exercises and all kinds of stuff. I can make it rain. I can uh-huh. do all kinds of fun things. Uh I mean, ridiculous. Like, you say it out loud, and it's like, oh, this is silly, but then you go, okay, well, there are correlations <laughs> in other <laughs> cultures, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. least. So that's mm-hmm, something. Yes. But in any event, um, this gets to the question, like, so now that, that I can, I have this, right? And I can see it. And it, it, before it was something I wouldn't pay attention to. I wouldn't even know about. And then it happens mm-hmm. to me. And now I've got to like look it up. But because like I can watch YouTube videos of these so called Kundalini gurus and I can tell exactly how many people are faking it or delusional. Ah. And, uh-huh. and I've literally found one person <laughs> who is real and uh-huh. one situation in India where some of the people in the room are real and others are not. And hmm. I, so I guess my, my, my question is, and this gets to the trickster theory again, circling back really to the, one of the beginning questions. Is that important? Is it important to you to have something Tangible? Are you trying to come to a conclusion with a theory? Are you trying to figure out what's real about it and what's not, or is it enough that people engage with it, even if they don't know what they're talking about, and bring bring it in other directions?
1: Well, I'm not. I'm not really clear exactly what you're asking me, but let me ramble for a little bit. <laughs> uh, I. I I try to theorize about it, uh, about these phenomena to gain some understanding of what they do, what the dangers are, uh, and what, what are the implications for mankind more, more generally. Uh, now, I don't expect to have any kind of definitive uh, answer, but I think I, I've got enough that I can sort of advance the program here to give people uh, different different ways of thinking about it. Uh, but I'm not sure that's really what you're asking, so p- please try asking again.
0: Yeah, well, I, okay, it's it's this. It's the New Age question. There are people who will say, well, what does it matter what real is? What doesn't matter as long as you feel good about it or as long as you can imagine something that is, you know, spectacular. What does it matter if it's real or not? Since no one can say, because it's an unknown. At the end of the day, we're dealing with unknowns. Therefore, anything you say about it could be real. So, how do you have a sense of depth and not depth, or or true and not true? Um, okay, except well, that, the, the, except that, I do and it angers okay. me. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, well, you ask a good question for in in regard to trickster theory. What is real, not real, true and untrue? The trickster inherently blurs those. That's the nature of it. So we have to start understanding what we and clarify what we mean by real or true and or what what does it mean to exist? Those are really difficult philosophical questions. And, but there are certainly implications. You know, If you are fooling yourself and you th- there's a saber-toothed tiger out there and you don't think there's one and he wants to come and eat you, you better, you're going to be in a very bad way if, if you're not concerned about your personal survival, uh, no matter what kind of hallucinations you have. If you want to live in this world that we live in, you have to have a certain real concern about what's really going to affect you.
0: Right yeah I just think that there might be this weird sort of personal aspect where I can say, "Look, I can look at a YouTube video and tell you which person is real or not, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have to either just believe me or not believe me uh, because it's not real for you anyway. <laughs> and yet well, that the the anger I feel at seeing somebody fake it is real.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. sure, you know? sure. And, and you may be perceiving quite accurately. And the only way anyone else can tell is by doing further experiments and testing you in some kind of situation and see if you're generally, if what they measure somehow objectively correlates well with what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I just remember like doing, uh, maybe it was the second Paratopia interview uh, that Jeff and I did with you where we were like, George, there are people out there who have taken your theory and just bastardized it and added on to it the why, you know, this, this devil persona or whatever it is. And you were like, Oh, that's great. And I just like to, to Jeff and me, it's like, that's incomprehensible to not be upset about that. Even though we're talking about unknowns, there is something real about it that you know is real. And you know, when someone is, is conning and if they're bastardizing your work, I guess that's the question. Does it matter? Or is it okay? Because at the end of the day, we really don't know what this stuff is. And so Anything that's an imaginative is
1: good. <laughs> no, criticism or bastardization of my work, yeah, well, let's see what they come out with. You know, maybe mm. it, it's nothing, but maybe they've got some important idea to share. And so, no, I have no no problem. In fact, I encourage them to, you know, see if it works. Uh, now, there's a lot to my theory. My book is more than 500 pages long, so it's not surprising that they would get some things wrong. In fact, I read academic literature all the time where people are pointing out the errors of how people represent other people's theories in their work. So this this just goes with the territory.
0: Well, I just want everyone listening to know that even though I became God that one time, George Hansen is a better person than I am. So <laughs> that will always remain true. George, thank you for uh, for doing this show. And, um, I don't know, can we tease, even though we have no real plan, can we tease the fact that we're going to, or the possibility that we're going to do something, uh, in the immediate future together?
1: Well, sure. Yeah. Um, the, uh, we'll have to think about that, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly open to it.
0: Okay, good. George is open to it, everyone. That's the big announcement. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, maybe the living mystery symposium or maybe, um, you know, when you have your speech ready, if you know. You want to do a public presentation, uh-huh. maybe we can do that. That'd be great.
1: Okay, okay.
0: We'll talk. All right, well, George, thank you for doing this, and thanks for uh, being a friend all these years. It's much appreciated, and, and I love you, buddy.
1: Well, your support's been very much appreciated on this end, so thank you.
0: Well, there you have it, George Hansen, ladies and germs. Mr. Trickster, Dr. Trickster. I, I don't know that he's a doctor. He's definitely a mister. Um, I definitely look forward to working with him in the future, doing something, uh, online, some sort of online presentation with him. However, um, my computer is, uh, going kaput. So if you want this to happen, I'm going to need the ability to record video and edit video without my computer shutting down, which it likes to do now just using audio and GarageBand, It just likes to completely shut down the computer. And, um, as if that wasn't bad enough, uh, we had a 6.1 earthquake a number of days ago, actually, as I was editing part one and during the earthquake, I, I went to put the computer on the floor cause the, the house just kept shaking and shaking and shaking. And I wanted to go check on Carol. And as I was putting it down on the floor, it just amped up like, gug, 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 and like stuff started flying off the shelves. It was actually kind of scary. And my computer flew out of my hand. Or perhaps I threw it in a fit of fear. I don't know. But I went and checked on Carol, and she was just fine. Because um, these things don't bother her, apparently. Unbeknownst to me, she is uh, cool as a cucumber in a life-and-death situation. Um, But my computer, not as cool as a cucumber. So the trackpad, since uh, dropping it on the floor or throwing it, uh, works pretty spottily. I mean, it works, but it's not great. So all of this is to say, uh, if you want me to do video (laughs) stuff, if you want me to do something with George Hansen, I'm going to need a new computer, which um, I can almost afford. But if anyone wants to send donations, com, there is a donations tab. Please help fund this computer. I mean, I'm going to have to get it eventually, right? But the sooner the better. And um, in terms of our undoing, I have a video I want to do on nothingness um, that I don't feel comfortable doing without a new computer because I don't want to, like, think I'm recording and then look down and then I'm not recording because, you know, something's shut down, the program shut down or whatever. This just seems to be something that's happening a lot now. Um, but it's an older computer. It's a 2012 MacBook Pro. Um, so its time is up. So please do consider going to www. Dot our com and uh, giving whatever you can through that donation tab I think the form is a bit of a pain in the butt but you know it's just once <laughs> and I don't keep your information or story or any of that so much appreciated of course if you can't um, or either way I guess um, get some other sucker to donate by uh, <laughs> by reviewing this in iTunes or Apple Podcasts whatever it is called now Um, Go ahead, give it a rating, talk about it if you like, Um, but get this out there so more people can hear about it, about the show, um, or shows, I guess, including Peritopia. If you like what I do here, let other people know. Then they can donate, you see? Then you don't have to give anything. See how this works? Not that you have to give anything anyway. I mean, I'll get this thing eventually. It's just a matter of when... And as a side note here, I've now restarted this, just doing this little outro to this interview three times. So that's how bad it is. Like I have to keep stopping and saving, stopping and saving. I must be out of memory. Um, all right, I'm going to stop and save, and then we're going to talk about um, George Hansen a little bit here. Ah, there we go. Okay, so uh, I thought it was interesting that in the beginning... Um, I, this passed me by, even as I was talking with him, I guess I just didn't hear it. But when he was talking about charismatic people and that they're the three qualities that go into a charismatic person, um, from ye old days, one of them was weather control. And then later in the interview, I'm like, you know, this Kundalini energy can, uh, you know, cause it to rain or whatever. Um, I didn't even hear that, but I guess if anyone was going to be someone who believed me, it would be George Hansen, Right. But, uh, how interesting is that? Because when I think of making rain, I think of like rain dances and native stuff. I don't think like charismatic occult people, but I guess uh, making rain is um, humanity's best kept secret. The Western world's best kept secret. I don't know. Also, uh, I do want to talk about the politics that he spoke about up front because um, and I wrote to him about this and I was like, George, this sounds like right wing talking points. You're talking about I mean, I'm assuming he's talking about the Black Lives Matter protests when he talks about riots and stuff. He didn't mention January 6th talking about the liquidity of our border as if that's like a real issue. I mean, this has been an issue since I was a kid. So. You know, it's not as though people just now, you know, some people in the country, this mysterious sum you mean right-wingers, are afraid that uh, there is no country anymore because people can just come and go as they please. I mean, that's been a right-wing fear point since forever. That's not new. And then the thing about critical race theory, teaching that to children, is, again, it, this is right-wing culture wars propaganda. It's not true. And so to characterize parents who stand up at PTA meetings and threaten and or beat up, threaten to murder um, people uh, at the PTA or teachers or principals, whoever it is in the school system. I mean, this is not just average parents concerned for their children's education, you know, with valid concerns. These are raging, terrorizing people indoctrinated into right-wing propaganda through Fox News and OWN and Newsmax and whatever else, Breitbart News. So insofar as George has a point about, like, these being warning signs of authoritarianism or, you know, a trickster element or something like that, I mean, that's interesting. But to characterize these things this way seems wrong to me. And I told him as much, and he told me he's not a a right-winger. (laughs) I mean, so maybe there are just some wires crossed, but I mean, I just, I find it odd that we're not talking about like Trump, you know, who indoctrinated us into accepting quote unquote fake news and all of this, uh, you know, this is the beginning point of this turn of particular crazy in American society, at least. And so if we're looking for the trickster, there he be right in some way. Or it's behind him, you know, puppeteering this. And insofar as people look to the skies um, during times of unrest, civil unrest and all that, that's fine. That's interesting. I just I'm afraid to characterize that unrest in terms of rioting and looting and that sort of thing when that's not true. I mean, most of BLM was peaceful protesting, and I think the big fire, uh, you know, that kicked it off in in Minnesota back at the beginning of uh, George Floyd's murder, um, I believe either a Boogaloo Boy or one of those right-wing Nazi groups, there is a dude who, in a court of law, has said that he was, you know, had infiltrated the protest and started that. So... I'm pretty sure that's true. And that just came out. That was, before, that was, I think that came out after we recorded this interview. But I mean, so even that is like right wing provocateurs, um, Nazi provocateurs, pretending to be Black Lives Matter protesters. I mean, duh. Like, who doesn't know that this is what happens? So while I think it is concerning that the federal government. Um, as he was talking about with critical race theory, um, you know, the federal government is encroaching more and more on what's normally, um, a state law, um, or a a state policing issue, I guess. Um, and that looks like fascism in the wrong hands. I mean, unfortunately they're doing it to themselves because the police aren't helping right? Like, it's not as though the police are stepping up at these PTA meetings and doing anything about it. And maybe they can't. Maybe there's a limit to what they can actually do. Um, But this is the trickster time. Like, you don't know who to trust anymore. And he talked about that, right? But it goes beyond politics. It goes into policing. You don't know. And I mean, that's always been the case, right? You don't know if you're black in this country or an Indian or Uh, any shade of brown I suppose you never quite know when something's going to go awry when you're pulled over by a cop but now it's like the fascism and the nazism are are just we're wearing it on our sleeves now those of us who are that way and so a lot of those people are in law enforcement unfortunately not everybody but do I have to give that caveat every time we say something like this No, I'm not speaking about everyone, but it's enough. It's enough to where, um, you got to wonder why are these people not being arrested, uh, at these meetings? They would, if they were black. So if local law enforcement isn't doing anything, um, about it, and if, you know, these judges who are giving the insurrectionists from January 6th a break, um, or the prosecutors themselves are giving them a break, um, You know, what's the message being sent there? Like, how deep does this fascist racist divide actually run in our system? Getting back to critical race theory, I suppose. But I mean, we're seeing it, right? So I I just I'm just saying this because I feel uncomfortable letting that hang out there as the context. I think what he says about um, in general these being things you can tick off a list as we head toward totalitarianism or authoritarianism or fascism. Yeah, but the reality is just like, you know, anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers are keeping the pandemic going by keeping the spreading going and, you know, thereby creating more variants and this sort of thing. I mean, you're hitting yourself in the face and it's the same thing here. You know, you want to rail against the federal government coming in then stop standing up and saying, you know, life-threatening or uh, violent things. Stop doing violence because of something Tucker Carlson told you that was a lie, that you don't want to bother looking up because you're more addicted to your rage than you care about the facts that you claim everyone needs to do the research on and then realizing that because you're white you're just going to get away with it because cops don't care. Uh rant over I suppose. But I mean all of this is so insane. I, to me, I guess I will make the one final point that the thing that's the the different now again isn't these these points of like the border or critical race theory or what The difference now is that there are people who feel emboldened to stand up and make threats because these issues have always been there. There have always been culture war issues. There's always been the problem of the border. But there hasn't always been like 30% of the country that will bully you and threaten to kill you and show up at your doorstep with a militia if you're you know, just some local politician or something like that is new in this country. That's the new thing, not these concerns. These concerns are perpetual. The new thing is that since Trump, we've emboldened bullying, idiocy, and death threats. And so far, everyone gets away with it. So in a way, I mean, I wonder if like the trickster element comes along after this scuzzy little dust bunny of issues forms in the corner. Does it take on a sense of organization, which becomes, you know, the appearance of trickster? Um, and I would add on to the political stuff. I mean, I, I think underneath this all is that we know our time is up here, that we have so destroyed the environment and continue to and don't care, you know, enough of us, um, to do anything about it and that the system is failed and all of that. I mean, the right wingers, uh, have it right, the ones who understand that the system has failed and all that. It's just that their antidote is to double down on crazy. And stupid and rage and, the, and and focus on the things that they've been told are either the problem or as a diversionary tactic <laughs> by politicians and media or just, you know, disenfranchised peoples who they feel superior punching down at. I mean, if you think you're going to lose your white privilege to a rising um, non-white population in America, what do you think is going to happen to your privilege when, like, the Ice Age comes overnight? You know? (laughs) What are you going to do against that storm that doesn't leave? Who's privileged then? And I, I feel like all of this affects us in different ways. It's just... If you're completely selfish and you lack empathy and or you're just crazy, because I think a lot of us are crazy. Uh, We are a culture, after all, of prescription drugs and other drugs and of, you know, eating plastics and breathing plastics and things that have toxic chemicals in them. You know, all this stuff that we were sold turns out to be poison. We are poisoned at the very least. And this has to affect a lot of us, if not all of us. And now you add to that, of course, the pandemic. Um, So you've got the political lunacy. You've got the fear of death happening um, in your face. The collapse of everything. And you've got a pandemic that is keeping you inside. You don't want to go inward. So you go online and you are bombarded with disinformation stuff that plays to your LARPing. You know, plays to your sense of knowing something more real than everyone else. And um, it's just the same old, it's actually is Nazi propaganda, is fascist talking points. You know, we've talked about this on the show, QAnon and Plandemic and all that stuff. So you're being fed fascism. And lo and behold, a nation of fascists grows. And honestly, I think the only thing that will keep us from fully turning is that Mother Nature is going to say flick. I don't think there's going to be any going to the stars with the billionaires. I don't think there's going to be any great, you know, Green New Deal cleanup that is going to matter. I mean, anything is better than nothing, and I could always be wrong, so let's do it, but If you're asking me, and you're not, (laughs) but what the hell, I'm here. Um, All the doing is done, and all that's left is undoing, inwardly, personally, privately, within oneself. That's it, because the mind that got us into this mess, the mind that is trying its best to either do nothing about it or do something about it, even at its best, can't undo what it is. The mind is delusional. The mind that claims to be human nature is unnatural. It's a misstep. It's a sense of separation that doesn't exist. Once you have that separation, once you say, Earth belongs to me, I am exclusive. I am autonomous. And I know actually you're part of a great ecosystem. And no, actually, you are transcended and included within one consciousness, not just as a bunch of words, but really have the ability to be that first person perspective of that consciousness, which includes you. Well, if you're not doing all that, then you're doing wrong. <laughs> then the mind is. You know, half-baked. And a half-baked mind is barely edible. And a barely edible mind belongs to the brain of zombies. And now we're in the zombie apocalypse screaming for brains. Well, if we're all still around, I guess I'll see you next season. Anyway, uh, thank you, George Hansen, for closing us off. And, um... Let this be a reminder um, that you can criticize people on the one hand, but still love their work, want to make their work better, want to make their voice stronger, want to help. Doesn't always have to be that you criticize and that's it. It's over. You know? Or if you're a, a girl or a boy of George Hansen and you're like, well, how dare you criticize my hero? No, your hero is tougher than that. Your hero welcomes criticism. And if you're still into hero worship at this point, you haven't learned anything from the Trump years. All right. We'll see you next season. Paratopia will be playing every Friday from now until forever, I think. So uh, until Our Undoing Radio returns, please do tune in to Paratopia. And again, ourundoing.com. Donate. And um, I'll get George Hansen in front of your eyeballs as soon as possible once I get a new uh, laptop. Alright, take care.